Grab your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 2. We are in the middle of a series that we've just called In the Dust of Jesus. And if you haven't been here to hear what, what that phrase comes from, there's an old Hebrew blessing uh, that says, May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And the idea behind it was, as the, your rabbi walks along the dusty ro roads of Israel, that the dust that he stirs up by walking along, you would be so close to him that that dust would land on you. So it's about walking closely and following behind Jesus. And so uh, in, in this series, we've been talking about trying to, to learn how to follow Jesus, not, not just memorize a bunch of, of facts about him, not fill our minds with theology, but rather to get behind Jesus and follow him. Because when Jesus says, come follow me, he was saying, come live as I live, come walk as I walk. And so last week, we talked about silence and solitude. And, that's, and what we're talking about today really ties into that. I know last week I said we were going to begin talking about prayer, which is a huge part of Jesus' life. And if you remember that, we're going to do that next time. But I felt like this was a better fit in this uh, uh, context. Mother Teresa said, God is the friend of silence. We saw last week that, that one of the characteristics of Jesus' life was that he, he regularly withdrew to get alone, to, to, to find silence, to find solitude. He often withdrew to get away from it all and to plug back in. And in fact, we know early in the book of Luke that Jesus' ministry is marked by three different things. We talked about this last week. We, it's, we know that wherever he is, there's this crowd, this thousands of people would gather to hear him. We also know that wherever he is, he has authority over diseases and demons. He was healing people of diseases and casting out demons. And third, wherever he is, he's not there long before he disappears to get alone with the Father. So Jesus practiced this art of solitude and silence. And the Hebrews would do that once a week for a full day, but also different times during the week for short amounts of time. But but the full day uh, where the Jewish person would get set aside to get alone to, to just to slow down was called what? Sabbath. And when you, when you read the New Testament, you discover that Jesus observed, uh, observes Sabbath quite often. Uh, however, the, the, here's the irony of that, that even in his practice of the Sabbath, the Pharisees consistently argue with Jesus over how he practices the Sabbath. Now I'm going to say this, and this is going to lead us into what we're talking about. When we talk about the Sabbath today, we're not talking about trying to set up a law where you say you have to set aside this specific day and that sort of thing. That's the, that's the letter of the law. That's this, and we're going to see how getting caught up in that really actually draws, sucks the life out of us rather than lead life into us. But because there, there are many, many things in life that start with depth, and purpose and beauty and if they're not nurtured and if they're not taken care of then it gives way to nothing more than just dry technique i'll give an example in marriage if 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 you've dated and you've romanced a, a woman you've wooed her and then you finally get her get married to her gentlemen and then then after all of that you finally get married to her and you're like oh thank god that's over and then you just try to live I can, I can tell you it's going to go badly for you. It's going to go very badly for you. All the passion, all that love, all that desire will be replaced by nothing more than dry technique designed to survive and merely exist. Now, the Sabbath was one of those things that God gave mankind in order to enjoy life, 
to drink deeply of all it is. And over a period of time, it, what happened is, is it became so technical that it stopped giving life and it started sucking the life right out of the Hebrews. I mean, have you ever been of something, a part of something that, that didn't pour into you at all? It was just the most life-sucking hour, two hours, three, three hours, day of your life. And, and some of you are like, I'm there right now, brother. Uh, a friend of mine, I want out. I want out. But, but, but anyway, we go to these things that just suck the life out of us. Well, the, the Sabbath had become very much like that. For example, certain rabbis in the first century said that if you took more than 32 steps in the day on the Sabbath, then you broke the Sabbath and you were sinning. 32 steps and you're sinning. You see what happens there is then now suddenly your mind is focused on counting the number of steps you're allowed to take. Oh, have I taken 31 or have I taken 30? I'm not sure. And you're focused on that and you're trying to keep this and it's sucking the life out of you trying to keep the, the details of the law that had been given to you. And the whole while you're missing the point that the day was about rest. And so uh, the Sabbath had become very mechanical, very dry very technical. And, and what we're going to look at, we're going to read here, we're going to see an argument between Jesus and the Pharisees that's going to get us into the question that sits above all religion and every philosophy. So let's go to Mark chapter 2, verse 23. This is what it says. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? You say, what are you talking about? Well, they were walking through this grain field. They're plucking these heads of the grain off and they were eating them. And the, and the Pharisees said, they are harvesting on the Sabbath. You see how it became this life-sucking thing to try to control things? And I'll tell you what, if you want an indictment against the pace of life today and against the legalism of their time, this scripture is it. Because, I mean, this is like a scene from Little House on the Prairie. Anybody here remember that? Anybody, some of you are younger, you don't remember that show. This, that's what it's like. I mean, they're walking through the wheat fields. They're talking. They're plucking the, the, the heads off of the wheat and they're eating. And, the, and then in response, the Pharisees are going, you workaholic sinners. And that's, that's just what happened here. I mean, that sounds like a vacation to me, doesn't it? Sounds like a pretty relaxing time. I mean, let's just go to a place where there are no people demanding our attention and, and let's go out into the wheat fields and just rest. And the, and the Pharisees in response are going, you scoundrels, you sinners, why do you do what's unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus is going to say something to them in response that speaks to us today. And he's going to say to them, oh, you, you poor guys. He's going to say, you just don't get it. So here we are, verse 25. And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Now, if you want to read the story that he's talking about later, you can do that. That's in 1 Samuel. You can read that. But verse 27 is absolutely huge for us today. This is where we're going to be camped out for our time today. Verse 27 says this. And he said to them, 
The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus said, okay, you're missing the point here. I didn't create this thing to, to plug man into. I created man for a purpose, and to accomplish that purpose, I gave him the Sabbath. So here's the million-dollar question we have to answer today, and this is the question that sits on top of all philosophy, and it sits on top of all religion. The question is this, why are we here? Why do you exist? Why are you? And I want to try to answer that, but so let's flip over to Isaiah. Keep your finger there. We're going to come back to this passage. But that's where we're going to spend our time today. But look at Isaiah chapter 43, beginning in verse 5. This is what he says. He says, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. And this is a text about hope to Israel that God is, they, they've been taken into captivity and they've spread all across the world. And God is saying to them, I will pull you back together. Do not be afraid. Don't give up. I've not abandoned you. I will pull you back together. Now look at verse 7 because it's going to be huge for us in answering the question of why you exist. Verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for what? Whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Scripture has just told us, and there are other places we can find it as well, that you were created by God for the glory of God. Now, now, the thing is, when we hear that, when many of us have heard that, we kind of know that, but, but glory, the problem is, glory is somewhat of a church word or an athletic word, right? That we don't tend to hear the word outside of those two settings. Maybe you could even say in a military setting, you might hear it in that setting. But, but the, the word glory is a word that we can use, we know how to use it, but, but most of us can't really define what we're talking about. It's, it's sort of like the word beautiful. You know, it, it, we can go, oh, she's beautiful. Oh, he's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, what do you mean? Well, the problem is beautiful just kind of explo explains beautiful, right? And, and so we, we can use the word, but, but really understanding what it means is a whole different animal. But I have the best definition I, I can find for you, and here it is. Glory is the fame admiration and honor that is given to someone who does something or is someone important. I'm going to say it again. Glory is the fame, admiration, and honor that is given to someone who does something or is someone that is important. That's what glory is. And you and I were created by God to reflect to the universe the perfections and the beauties and the wisdom of God. Ephesians 2 would say that you are to display the manifold witness of God, that you were created for the glory of God. You were created that God might be admired, that he might be made famous, and that he might be worshipped. That's why you are. That's why you and I exist. Bringing glory to God. That's why. Now there's a a uh, very famous writing is called the Westminster, Westminster Catechism. You may or may not have heard of that, but it says this in the Westminster Catechism. It says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Isn't that awesome? 
God is most glorified in in us when we are most satisfied in Him. It's good news that you and I were created to bring glory to God because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. So the way that we give God glory and honor and reflect the magnitude of His worth to the world around us is by enjoying Him, not simply by obeying Him and doing everything He commands because we know that He can condemn us to hell, but rather enjoying the goodness of the way of Jesus and we and in re- enjoying that we reflect his fame we reflect his glory so that he can be seen and I'll, I'll use my marriage as an example to help you kind of understand how relationship uh, provides this there there's no glory in my marriage if you walk up to Julie and you and you say to her you ask her a question you say what well what's it like being married to Dave and if she answers like this if she says well I'll tell you what, I can tell you how much a divorce attorney costs. I can tell you that. I wish I hadn't made those vows. I wish if it hadn't been for that, I'd be gone. That's not a very, that's not a, a very inspiring answer, is it? You know, there's, that doesn't make, you hear that, that doesn't make anybody who's single say, oh, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I want right there. I want a good lawyer. That's what I want. There's, there's no glory there. It's broken. You don't hear that and say, oh, that's what I want. I want more dysfunction than I already have. That's awesome. You don't admire that. You don't ascribe worth to that. You don't aspire to that. It, it, that's just, and, and, and that just doesn't reflect any glory at all in marriage. Now, I want to say this to, to set up what I'm going to really say. I have a degree in Bible, which just means that I, either I do this or I'm homeless. <laughs> That's pretty much what it means because there's not a lot of options out there. You preach the gospel and lead a church or, uh, or a ministry, and that's it. That's my degree. So, but, but take my relationship with my wife. If, if I were to cheat on my wife with, an, with another woman, there are a slew of repercussions that would come. I would lose my job here, specifically, especially if I'm not repentant, I'd be gone. I would, it would be financially devastating because what am I going to do? Uh, it would destroy all that I hoped for for our home, for our children. And it would put a major blow into all the prayers and desires we have here for Restoration Life Church. And yet here's, I want you to understand this. None of those are why I don't cheat on my wife. It's not like I'm looking at women going, oh, yeah, oh, wait, that would be financially devastating for me. Sorry, babe, got to go. No, that's not what's happening. That's, that's, not what, that's, not, that's not why I don't cheat on Julie. So, it'll be all right. I don't cheat on Julie because I love her. Because I enjoy her. And because it still blows my mind that over 31 years ago, she said yes to spending the rest of her life with me. And I'm telling, here to tell you, I know me. That's not an easy task. When you enjoy one another, you are displaying the glory of that relationship. If you, you know, how many of you have ever seen a couple that is having such a good time together, they're just enjoying each other so much that it's almost like nauseating to you. You know what I'm talking about? You know, especially in newlyweds or something that, that that's the moment when you're getting it, that you're getting the glory of it. You're going, 
you're, you're looking at that, and you may even tease them, make fun of it, but you're saying, oh, man, I'd like that. That's, I'd like that kind of passion. I'd like that kind of friendship. That's the kind of glory resonating from two people enjoying one another. So you and I were created by God to display the glory of God in our enjoyment of his infinite perfections. It's in that love relationship with him that, that where I'm so, I, I do the things that I do, not because I have to do it to make him happy, not because it's the letter of the law. I do the things that I do for him because I love him so deeply that other people see that and say, that's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. And that puts the glory of God on display in my relationship with him. Do you have the picture in your mind? You're on the same page? You were created to reflect, to, to display the glory of God. And when you're not doing that, you feel disjointed, you feel broken because you are not living under the purpose for which you were created. Are you with me? You with me so far? So let's go back to the Sabbath now. Let's go back to Mark 2.27. Let me read it again. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, so watch this. In Genesis, God begins to create he, he speaks the universe into, into existence. He, he speaks into existence all of the stars, the planets, the mountains, the oceans, uh, all the camels, all the ducks, all the weird things at the bottom of the ocean. He speaks all of those things into existence. And then after he does all of that, he creates man to reflect his glory and make known his manifest wisdom. So God scoops up some dirt. He breathes life into it and creates man to reflect the glory's beauty and magnitude of God. He creates it all, and every day after he creates something, he steps, steps back and says, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. He gets to man and he says, this is very good. He looked at all and said, it's all very good. And then on day seven of creation, he creates what for man? Rest. Sabbath. He creates rest. He creates the Sabbath as a tool for man to accomplish the purpose of glorifying him by enjoying him. Your enjoyment of God is inseparably woven into the idea of Sabbath, which is why God is so serious about it all throughout Scripture. I mean, he puts it in the top ten, right? in the Ten Commandments. Exodus 31 says, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of, of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever, get this, this is how serious God is. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. He's serious enough about the Sabbath to say, take the Sabbath, take the rest, or I'll kill you. In essence, he's serious enough about the Sabbath to say, stop or you will be destroyed. Now, now why? Now, I'll say this. Some of you are, are really young, so you're not going to follow some of the things I'm going to say today because uh, life hasn't beat the trash out of you yet. But I have the gift of encouragement here to tell you that it's coming. Um, so, so, so you will want to just file some of this uh, back in the back of your mind because life will eventually stomp you into a pile of goo. At one point in your life, you will, you will be a mess and you will realize, man, I really need Jesus. There are hard times coming. And, and I don't, I, I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom. I'm just saying we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. Life has a way of endless, endlessly piling up on you until the whole act of living is replaced with a 
weighty sense of obligation. Life has a way of endlessly piling up on itself until you are no longer living, but you're just trying to fight through and survive a thousand different obligations every day. This is not the way of Jesus. That's not the life he said he came to bring to you. Let me show you two ideas of Sabbath and the glory of God colliding, this enjoyment of God colliding. So go to Psalm 23, very famous passage of Scripture. A lot of you have this memorized, but I, but I want you to look at the tie-in between your enjoyment of God or the glory of God and the Sabbath, the rest. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for his glory. So the way of Jesus is that we would that he would lay us down in green pastures next to quiet waters and in that pasture, in that stillness, in that silence, in that solitude, he restores us. In that place, he brings healing and restoration and enjoyment for his name's sake so that we might enjoy him and thereby glorify him. You know, here's the thing, though. Everyone that I know, everyone I meet who is struggling with their walk with Christ seems to think that healing will come by adding things. Can I say something that may sound really crazy to you? Maybe you don't need to get into another Bible study. Maybe the three you're already in are enough. Maybe you don't need another accountability group. Now, if you don't have, uh, not in a Bible study, if you're not in an accountability group, you should do that. But, but maybe the, the, the healing is not going to be found in adding things. Maybe you don't need to join that one more ministry. Jesus says, you want to be healed? Lie down. Lie down. Then later on in Psalm 118, and it's going to be very hard to read this if you grew up in church without clapping your hands. But it says, this is the day the Lord, that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Right? Everybody knows that. So follow me. The thing about the Sabbath is that the Sabbath... And I'm not talking, I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about setting aside a specific day. The New Testament is very, very clear that one day is not more holy than another. I'm talking about this concept of taking a day where we slow down, where we rest, where we, we stop worrying about life. We just slow down enough to be able to hear from God. So I'm not talking about the Sabbath. I'm talking about a Sabbath in our life. But that idea, the Sabbath tunes us back into the greatness and the goodness of God. Now, this is the day. Today is is the day that God has made and I will rejoice and I will be glad in it no matter how dark it is in my world right now. Today is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and I will be glad in it no matter how my world is unraveling right now. Jesus would say to us, blessed are the poor. Not blessed will be the poor, but blessed are the poor right now. Blessed are those who mourn. Not blessed will be those who mourn, but blessed are those who mourn right now. There's this element of the goodness and and the greatness and the majesty of God in our lives today, this day, this day. And the Sabbath opens our eyes to be able to stand in awe of the goodness and the beauty of God, despite the brutality of the world around us. 
You know, I'm wondering, I'm wondering how many of us just can't even see anymore. We, we, many of us, we've sort of lost our natural awe because of the maddening pace of life. Kids, kids are magical, aren't they? Aren't they? They really are. I mean, there's just there's this beauty and hope and in them, and it just drives you to kiss them, and it makes adults get on the floor and act like complete idiots, right? And we and we love it. They they just have this hope in them, and you know I don't know about you, but like my girls, I don't you know they're I'm not getting on the floor and playing with them anymore. They're a little bit too old for that, but but I still I don't want to miss a moment. But if I'm not careful then the drive for accomplishment and the maddening pace of life will rob me of the simple beauties of my daughters every day. I'll be so caught up. If I get so caught up with all the stuff I need to do and what I need to take care of and all these different things that have to happen, I can, I can be so focused on those things that I miss the moment where a, my daughter wants to come up and just give me a hug. And I can just push that away like it's nothing. And, and, and not only that, there's this woman in my house named Julie who loves me, cares what I say, even about stuff where I have no clue, but I act like I'm an expert. But she lets me do that anyway. And I, I need to really see her. The thing about the Sabbath is that the Sabbath slows you down enough to see people again, to, to notice the sunset again, to be grateful again. And you know what? Gratitude is the foundation of worship. And worship is the consummation of the glory of Christ in our lives. Our ridiculous pace of life makes it easy to, to see people as if they were there for our consumption. We're all in such a hurry. We do that all the time. You go to Wendy's or wherever, and, and uh, you know, they're, they're a little slow with your order, but because your, your pace of life, you're on such a, a, a rapid pace, you got to be the somewhere next, you got to be in a hurry, you got to get somewhere that, that, that pretty soon, instead of seeing the person that's standing behind the counter, all we see them as someone who's there to consume for our benefit, and, and we get angry with them, and we will berate them because our meal took more than two and a half minutes. So here's the big question. We're going we're gonna to close with this. Here's the big question. What does Sabbath look like in 2021? How do we do Sabbath? I mean, are you telling me I can't walk for more than 32 steps? Is that what you're saying, Pastor Dave? No. What does Sabbath look like for us in 2021? But here's what I want to do in closing. I want to just give you some ancient things that they did in, in, in ancient Israel hundreds of years ago. And then I'm going to give you some homework. Some of you, you hear the word homework and you're already tuning out. You know, but listen, it'll be all right. This is, this is not uh, bad stuff. I think you'll, you'll enjoy this if you'll do it. But here's how some of them did Sabbath uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. They had this thing. It was called a Shabbat box or, or Sabbath box. 
And, and, and we need to know Sabbath in the, uh, on the Jewish calendar, it started at dinner one night and ran through dinner the next night is, is how their day runs. And what would happen was that as the family would come home, they would all walk in and, and the Shabbat box would have been placed out by the door. And, and, and you would open the Shabbat box and put into the box anything that connected you with the outside world or anything that had something to do with the chains of work and the tasks that needed, needed to be done. So if we had a Sabbath box in 2021, what we would do is we would come home and we would put the cell phone in there, we'd put the laptop in there, and then we put the second cell phone in there that we have just in case the first cell phone doesn't work, and that's what we would do. And then what they would do is that they would then take, they would all grab pieces of paper and they would write down on the pieces of paper the things that worried them. Things that, uh, about which they were anxious, major projects that had to be done. And then they would fold those papers up and they'd put them into the box. And as they dropped it into the box, they would pray to the Lord and say, okay, now that's yours, that's not mine. And then when everything was in the box, they would lock the box, head into the house, light some candles, sing songs, pray, tell stories, worship, eat, and nap. How many of you can say amen on the nap? And there was, there was even, I, I debated on whether to tell you this, but I'll go ahead. There was even this one particular group uh, of Jewish people who followed just the Talmud. And they, they, they believe that large portions, portions of the Sabbath should be set aside if you're married for physical intimacy. And now suddenly some of you have just suddenly tuned in. Some of you hadn't listened to anything I said. And now you're like, baby, give me a pen. Give me a pen. <laughs> We're joining this place, you know, we're just like, I got you now. Although it had become very legalistic and very mechanical, it seems that God created the Sabbath to be a day of rest and delight where we stopped long enough to be grateful for all that God did, even if it was raining in our souls. So here's the homework. And some of you, let me tell you this, you don't have to build a box, but let's, as we do the homework this week, let's observe the Sabbath box. All right? This is what we're going to do. Here's the homework for this week. We're, we're going to eat together, eat dinner together as a family. Now, I'm, I'm not mean as a church family. I'm not inviting you to my house, so don't, you know, don't, don't ding dong a hundred people outside. We're here for dinner. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not inviting you to my house for dinner. Uh, I'm saying you as your family, you're going to have dinner this week. And if you're not married and you don't have kids, then you can get together with a group of friends. Or maybe if you have a family and you know of someone who doesn't have any family, you can invite them to be part of what you're doing because that was part of Jewish culture. They would open their home on the Sabbath to anyone who, who needed to come in to have a meal together. But, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to eat a meal together. However, he, here's the deal, all right? We're not going to buy that meal at a restaurant. Some of you are going, well, where else can you get food? You know, okay, there are these places that sell unprepared food. They're called grocery stores, uh, and they, they, they actually exist. So you're going to do, what you're going to do, you're going to all pile in your car, your whole family, and, and, your, and your group of friends, whatever you're going to do, and you're going to head to the grocery store, and you're going to buy food for this meal. Some of you are like, I thought this would be about rest. It'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay, but you're going to go buy the food, except that none of it will, will be built uh, or based off of speed. You say, what do you mean? So that means you're not going to buy the salad in a bag. 
that, that you're, some of you are like, you got to be kidding me. Trust, are you, normally that's fine, but for this meal, no salad in the bag. Here's the, okay, here's where it happens. And everyone cooks, and everyone helps clean. And here's how it works. At the store, you're going to get the ingredients for the salad. No salad in the bag, no baby carrots, you know, in a bag. Uh, not built on speed or time. We're going to pick out, pick out all the ingredients that we want in a salad. And then we're going we're gonna to plan and we're going to get the stuff we need for courses. You know, maybe two, three, or four courses. We're going to have dessert. We're going to get dessert. And we're, we're going to go home and, and together as a family we're going to cook. And everybody gets a job. Everybody helps. No TV. No phones. Some of you are like, how am I supposed to get to my recipes? <laughs> print them off. You can use your phone just for the recipe. Okay, that's, I'll give you that. And then while we cook, we're going to tell stories. We're going to catch up with one another. We're, we're, we're going to plug back in with our humanity and plug back in with each other. You're going to tell, share memories. You're going to, parents, you're going to tell your kids about what things were like when you were a kid. And they're going to look at you and say, you mean they actually had that when you were a kid? And they'll make comments about that. And then when the smell of dinner fills the house, there's this bit of decoration in your house called the dining room table. And, and in ancient times, what you do in your car used to take place there. And, and so when dinner is done and the aroma of dinner fills your house, you're going to put food on the plates, and you're going to put it on the table, and you're going to light some candles, even if, even if you're a bunch of guys together. Look at me. It's okay, guys. You can light candles. It just has to be manly-smelling candle, like grass or dirt or something, okay? That's what it has to be. You know, if, if it's like fuzzy peach, you've, you've gone well past biblical Sabbath. Right? You know, it can't be vanilla anything, all right? So, so you're going to light some candles. And, and here's what I want you to do. Pray. Look at that meal and pray. And give thanks because most of the world will not eat like you're about to eat. Don't take it for granted. Realize that in this meal I'm having more than some people are going to have in a week. And not to feel guilty about it but to feel grateful for God's blessings. Pray, and then enjoy your meal together. Just sit down. Eat the salad first. Chew it. Taste it. Then move on to the next course. Then the next course. Do dessert. If you're married with small children as you eat, talk with them. Reconnect with your children. Reconnect with your spouse. Reconnect with your friends. And if you have children after that, put them, put them in the bath, clean them up, send them to bed early. Just sit around and talk and pray. Maybe sing some songs. Don't worry about all the things you need to do. Put that on next week's agenda. If you're married, cuddle on the couch. Pray. Talk. Maybe even kiss a little. It's okay. Here's what I want you to know. 
more is not always more. More is not always more. Jesus said, I have come so that you might have life and have it to the full, that we might slow down enough to smell and taste and see that he is good. As Mother Teresa said, God is the friend of silence. Bow your head. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men and women. I thank you for our time together today. And uh, Lord, I just pray, Mary Beth, as you're coming, I, I want to actually close by singing that worthy of it all. Again, I think it really is appropriate. But let's continue to pray. Lord, I, I just thank you for these men and women. And Lord, I know that there are some of us here today that just feel overwhelmed. And there are some here that feel like they have failed in life. We feel frazzled. We feel broken, out of sync. And our souls are all maligned and mangled. And Lord, I know for so many in this, in this place and so many that are watching online, life has become one huge obligation. But you said that you came to give us life, life to be lived. And I know some of us are bitter and angry. Lord, I'm just asking that you would just slow us down, Father. Slow us down. Help us to see again. Help us to see our children, our, our spouses, our parents, to see if we're wounding them deeply with our lives and with our pace of life. Let us see again who we are. Let, let, let us see people again. Not just a mass of humanity, but Lord, let us smell again, see beauty again, re restore our natural awe, fill our hearts with gratitude for your grace. And God, I know that there, are, uh, there will be a thousand excuses of why we can't do dinner this week or a thousand reasons of, oh, well, it's just, it's just a bad week for us or whatever. And, and I know that there will always be those excuses, God, but I just pray that the seriousness of enjoying you and thereby glorifying you, there, thereby fulfilling the purpose for which we exist, Lord, that that would just take priority over every aspect of life. And I pray this, Lord, that you would just sear into the depths of our soul that more is not always more. Sometimes it's okay to shut the tasks down. Sometimes accomplishment doesn't bring value. I pray as King David prayed, Lord, that all across the room that you would restore to us the joy of your, your salvation and the vitality and the depth of life that you promised to those who would follow you. Restore that, God. Lord, we, we know you withdrew often to pray, to eat, to slow down, to reconnect, to, to pray, to be with the Father. Help us, Lord God. Just help us to exhale. Help us to exhale. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen.